Welcome to Horror Makes Us Happy, the podcast where we ask the question, what is it about horror that makes us happy? Your hosts are Steve Becker and myself, Chris Whitman, and you can find out more about us at our website, horrormakesushappy.com. Before we get started, a little information for you and the listeners. This is the trigger warning. We're going to be talking about horror movies, horror culture, which could involve anything from murder, rape, suicide, child abuse, some messed up stuff that some people may not be interested in. So that's your, your, uh, your warning. We're going to be talking about fucked up shit. I said it after the warning. That still counts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got it in just under the wire. Yes. There. Uh, let's see. So coming up in the future, we're going to be re- interviewing uh, Rebecca Reinhardt, actress known for such works as The Embalmers, Fright Vision, and Sister Krampus. But today we have the company of Miguel Rodriguez, organizer and founder of the Horrible Imaginings Film Festival and co-founder of Film Geeks San Diego. Also, just recently Welcome. found out uh, Googling your uh, writer at Red Central. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much. Welcome, Miguel. Thank you. I'm kind of looking forward to this. You're, you came very highly recommended by a great <laughs> friend of mine, <laughs> Laura Lee Barr, uh, who's oh, yeah. an absolute genius. And, mm-hmm. and so I'm really looking forward to this. Cool. Yeah, yeah she we was a fun talking to her. Uh, so in this interview, we'll be asking three sets of questions covering your childhood, teenage years, and adulthood to find out what it is about horror that you like. Uh, the idea being that we, if we interview enough people, we might find some interesting common themes or interesting uncommon ones as well. Uh, that said, it's not meant to be a therapy session. So if there's anything you don't want to talk about, you'll just say pass and we'll move on. But, um, starting with childhood, what are some of your earliest memories of scary things? My mom grew up with horror movies. Uh, her mother, my grandmother, really loved horror movies. Uh, one story about my grandmother is um, she had seen Frankenstein, like the, the James Whale original film, uh, in the cinema with her brother. And she loved it. And her brother was hiding under the chair <laughs> the whole time. And and she always, that was like a mark of of real pride for her, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, that kind of goes back. So this story does involve mi abuela, my grandmother. And, uh, so my parents left me and my infant brother in the care of my grandmother while they went on a date. And, you know, they had this kind of early parental thing where they wanted to make sure that we were sheltered from scary things or whatever. I was, I must've been three and a half or four. So I actually don't have personal memory of this. And my brother was an infant, as I said. So anyway, they got home from the date. They entered the house without, you know, making noise, I suppose, because uh, my grandmother was in the middle of telling us a story. And they're like, oh, grandma's telling them a story. And so they, they like sneak over to, to get a listen. And, and, and they see me wide-eyed on her lap, looking up at her and wrapped in this tail. And, my, uh, and she's holding my brother. And <laughs> what they hear is, and then he cut the head off and the blood spurted out of it. <laughs> <laughs> and they were perfect my, my, timing yes and right, yeah, it was right at the money shot of the story and my my father of course was was mortified his his side of the family and and definitely him himself this is not their at all what they were into and in fact so that you know we'll probably get in the course of this conversation something i find really fascinating about being raised with horror and 
how I feel like one of the the attractions about it, like many forbidden fruit, is um, having to you know having to sneak sneak it in, right? Like, oh, this is kind of a bad thing. Um, you know, from on my mom's side, I didn't have to do that, but we did keep it a secret from my dad a lot, and so I was able to kind of experience that forbidden fruit aspect a little bit. And now that I have my own daughter, I feel like, oh, what am I robbing her of? Because she she'll see anything, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, I'm kind of I'm kind of robbing her of the rebellious streak that horror can offer. But <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, this goes way way back. I mean, way way back. I, I was watching. There was nothing for really forbidden for me as a kid. I watched all you name it, but. I'm really grateful uh, that my mom and, and her sisters and brothers, they loved film, you know? So uh, I was not really stuck only watching contemporary stuff. We watched lots of classic monster movies and black and white stuff. I grew up with all that. So as much of a horror lover as I am, I'm actually really, I'm more of a cinema lover. Uh, I mentioned, you mentioned that I'm the co-founder of Film Geek San Diego. We curate um, all kinds of stuff. It, it, occasionally horror will pop up, but it's that's not a horror-centric organization at all. Okay. And I actually really love classic film uh, of all genres. Interesting. Uh, yeah, th- that will make for an interesting call then. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've listened to any of our previous calls, but one of the things that we've often talked about is, I don't know, I don't know how Chris feels about this, but at least me personally, I like to separate, you know, there's, there's, um, there's an appreciation for horror on a gut level, the emotional instinctual level. And then there's enjoying something as an auteur, you know, when you're an artist or a writer, or in this case, maybe just a, in in general, a fan of film, film geek, Mm -hmm. you know, you start looking at it at the meta level, which, you know, it's kind of like the brain versus heart debate, you know? And I think at least, my personal view is I think the, the truer connection comes from the heart more than the brain, if that makes sense. Well, of course. I, I, guess, I guess maybe I shouldn't say it that way. It's not that it's less true from the brain, but it, it, it hits different. Let's put it that way. I, I would say maybe, maybe not truth, but authenticity. You know, like I, I maintain that on a real level, horror or really any confrontational kind of genre like this. Or, or work of art that the whole point is kind of to appeal to a baser instinct or, or a more primal instinct is a more sincere genre. And it's that sincerity, in my view, that accounts for the wildly disparaging reactions to it from the people who can't live without it and the people who don't want anything to do with it. Um, it's the very same power that horror has that makes some people ab- find it absolutely distasteful. Mm. And I think that's, that's part of its power. You know, a, a lot of horror fans, when I talk to them, they want to convince their horror hating acquaintances, friends or family that, you know, this is worthy, that it's, it's not trash, that it's not dangerous or pernicious. And then it's they- art house. It's a 24. You love it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, you can't, you can't convince them of that. You know, and certainly not by sharing it with them, because uh, 
Sometimes, sometimes you can. It's interesting when you 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 do have some converts, but but I do think there's something uh, that it attaches itself to that's more at the core of who we are. And I wouldn't I wouldn't want to change that. I think I think if it didn't upset some people, then it wouldn't work for me as well. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. Anyway, we can get more into that later. <laughs> but like the same goes for the stigma of the genre. Every time at Oscar season, all the horror fans are like, horror's always, you know, left off by the Oscars or whatever. Or anytime there's anything horror at the Oscars, they have to call it something else like thriller or when they call mm-hmm. get out a comedy or did they call get they out called a get out which is absurd, you know, and I agree that that there's absurdity to all these things. However, <laughs> I'm not sure I would want horror to be recognized by the Oscars. For me, like one of the things that gives it a kind of primal power is the fact that it is stigmatized. And because it's stigmatized mm-hmm. and denigrated, one thing that offers to creators who want to work in this realm is you can kind of drop your pretensions, can't you? Uh, not everybody, obviously. There's there's pretentiousness within horror, <laughs> but to some degree, you can you can drop the pretensions that you're making uh, a Fellini film, you know, or or something, or you're yeah. attempting to do that. It's or more um, free will or, or freeing. It's it's more. Um, it's more I'm looking for here, Jesus. I would say sincerity. Let me, let me, let me give an analogy, uh, real quick. (laughs) So there was a girl that I was dating for a while (laughs) that, um, as, as soon as, as soon as she realized that I was actually getting along with her parents, we stopped dating. That's okay. not healthy, okay. but yes. <laughs> yeah, like, it's not healthy, but I understand. <laughs> but I understand. <laughs> that's, I, I think that's kind of where you're going with this, that if – if it was accepted, it would all it immediately would be less tasteful to the people that enjoy certain elements of it. Yes. Perhaps. I, I think I think more I think you know, I think it's more that the because and this goes back because it's so sincere, because the love for horror and being scared or scary stories in general um is such a personal thing. Uh, the power of horror is that it appeals to each individual's baggage that they're bringing to it. And that makes it very like diverse. And so um, my friend, Steve, so he, he, uncle creepy was one of the main voices of dread central in the back. He's a a wonderful guy. I talk to him all the time, but he always talks in his interviews. He's like, for me, man, horror is an escape. Horror is, is it's fun. It's an escape. It's what I use to get away from the world. And that's, you know, that's perfectly legitimate, but that's not what it is for me at all. For me, it is the precise opposite. Horror for me is not an escape. It's a confrontation. So, um, but it's the same thing, you know, that it's the same, we're using the same tool for a radically different and even diametrically opposing purpose. And that's one of the things I find fascinating about talking about it. So let's, kind of put all this to the side for a minute yeah. and uh, yeah. Uh, focus again on the childhood part of it. So uh, <laughs> other than this um, episode with your grandmother, mm-hmm. can you think of other, um, like if you were to say like the top three most impactful horror things from your childhood? Uh, first of all, part of that, I think might be cultural. 
When I grew up very young, it was on the Rio Grande border of Texas, South Texas, basically Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. And the definition of horror was that I grew up with and that I still take to heart. It was very broad for us. So we didn't even use, I didn't grow up with the term horror movie. I grew up with the term scary movie. So one of the movies that always stands out to me is actually a film noir with Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall called Dark Passage. Have you seen Dark Passage? I have not. No. Neither of you. Okay. So Humphrey Bogart plays a a convict on the lam. And in order to escape being caught, he gets put under the knife and changes his face. And because I think I've heard about this. Yes, it's a great, it's a, it's a, a true noir does not have a happy ending. But, uh, and the other thing that people complain about is one of the things that I really found fascinating as a kid. This is one of the early uses, innovative uses of first person camera work. So Bogey gets his um, plastic surgery kind of like nearly the half mark. You don't see any lead actor. You see it all from his point of view. Right. And, uh, and that can looks be, in the mirror. yeah, it can be jarring, but you don't see his face until post op. Right. And so huh. suddenly he looks like Humphrey Bogart. You have no idea what he was supposed to look like. Before. Oh, actually yeah, you so see pictures of him in the newspaper. It's not bogey. Right. <laughs> okay. But they never actually show an actor for him on screen. It's all first person until he's post op and he sees himself in the mirror for the first time. That isn't That's interesting. Precisely right. Yeah. And uh, when he is put under the knife, this there there are two scenes that um, that's what you call. How do I do this without having to pay another actor? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) What about the what about the press photos? I don't know. Get your get your nephew. We'll take a picture of him. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's it's great. I I do recommend everybody watch Dark Passage. I think it's it's altogether a very entertaining film. But when it comes to horror. Well, when it comes to horror, there are two scenes that um, that always stood out to me as as really frightening. And so one of them, uh, Bogey put, gets put under the knife to get plastic surgery on his face. And right as he's kind of going under, the plastic surgeon's, you know, he's not a reputable plastic surgeon. He's kind of like right. this like, alleyway plastic surgeon. Mm-hmm. And, of course. and he's also kind of a jerk. So he's like, Joe, he's, he's kind of ribbing the character saying, Maybe I'll make you look like a bulldog, you know, (laughs) and then that's the last thing he hears before he passes out from from the uh, anesthetic. And so the next bit of film is a dream sequence while he's under. He's terrified of what he's going to look like at the other end of this. And it's kind of appealing. And so it's a really, really wonderful bit of cinema. And then later on is one of my favorite bits of um, what I'll call dread. It gets to this point where even though. He's he's done this. This is you now see Humphrey Bogart in in, in all his glory. Um, he's hiding away in this shitty San Francisco like hovel by the port, and he could get caught. And things are getting really heated, and the suspense is building up. But in this scene, he's just there's nothing he can do. You know, he's hiding away, and all you hear it's the soundscape. And we can talk about this too. The power of horror largely is auditory. I think that's fascinating because film is largely a visual medium, but mm-hmm. sound is so much of it. Oh, yeah. The sound is so, it's so key. And in this scene, in the distance, it's night, it's dark, it's drab, it's pure noir. You hear the foghorn of one of the ships in the port, and there's something about it that's so haunting. I used to have dreams about this. 
The other one I bring up is Metropolis. You know, it's clearly like a science fiction film, but there's a scene where the doctor is chasing Maria through the catacombs and the lighting. It's brilliant. The It's lit with just this uh, lantern that he's carrying after her. And it's, it is a pure horror scene, pure horror. Um, and it's wonderful. So I can go on and on. <laughs> That's another one from when I was a kid, by the way, Metropolis. Okay. Yeah. Like, I was going to ask, did you watch yeah. Metropolis? In the <laughs> so if yeah. it's, if it's, it does fit. Yeah. Um, other movies from when I was that old, you know, honestly, The Wolfman. Mm-hmm. So, um, which is really interesting. I came to be a lover of werewolf movies because of Michael Jackson, uh, the thriller mm-hmm. video. My mom, so my mom out of the library got the making of thriller VHS. So at this point, it must have been like 86 or so. Mm-hmm. I made her get that thing out of the library 50 billion times. <laughs> I watched right. it over and over. It's how I found out like, wow, like the artists who work behind the scenes, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like Rick Baker is mm-hmm. on that turning Michael Jackson. They have a full thing where they're showing how they're putting Michael Jackson in the, in the werewolf makeup. Yep. And I just thought it was amazing. And in the make making of thriller, Michael Jackson says the reason he wanted John Landis to direct the video is he saw American Werewolf in London. And that, that's how I discovered American Werewolf in London was because. Okay. <laughs> and so I asked my mom to to get that. And that became one of my favorite films. I made her watch the goddamn thing 50,000 times. <laughs> so uh, a lot of people in this era uh, where films weren't quite as readily available as they are now might feel some kinship with this. I would go to the library or even the school library and um, in the, in the, there would be always be some kind of kid centric book about monster movies. And so I would go through and thumb through all these books and I, I would make lists. That's how I found out. I remember seeing a picture of Vincent Price with the Tingler and I didn't get to see the Tingler until much later, but I always knew about it and desperately wanted to see it because I saw it in that book. And there was of course a whole list of, of werewolf movies. And I just, made the list and we scoured anywhere we could find to uh to find some of those and so obviously like the the lon cheney jr wolfman was fairly i I remember being able to see that a bunch uh frankenstein first meets the wolfman was one that i was able to see but there were a lot that i had trouble finding like curse of the werewolf with oliver reed i remember desperately wanting to see and didn't get to see it until later but you the the thing what i'm trying the point i'm trying to make here is it, it became a search, right? At the time, it became like, what is there? The first part of the search is what has existed? Mm. Why did it exist? And then how can I actually experience it firsthand? Because I, I, you know, seeing Oliver Reed in as the big, like, kind of gray, silverish looking wolfman, werewolf uh, in the pictures in a book. I already loved the film. (laughs) It's like, that's something very strange, isn't it? Yeah. And I just so wanted to see it. And and that, that need to see it it was part of, I don't know if that really, I don't want to hear of if that really exists to that degree, the the kind of like search, maybe it does. Maybe I'm being a Luddite, but (laughs) I think I can relate. I've uh, watched quite a few films where I've just, found them from thumbing through some, you know, anthology of horror movies over the, over the years or, or over this year book, like, Oh shit, well, this looks awesome. Find that. Yeah. 
Well, it gets, I mean, it gets kind of crazy because, like, I see what's available now, just, like, readily available on Tubi or whatever. Yeah. And, and I was like, motherfucker. I spent, like, $90 on a shitty <laughs> ninth-generation VHS in 1996 <laughs> because this thing was never going to be available anywhere. And now, and now it's, it's on Blu-ray, 4K. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, <that's, laughs> you bring up a really interesting thing because – uh, let's talk about physical media, 4K Blu-ray. Um, generally speaking, the ones that get the loving treatment. So, yes, you know, the Spider-Man movies you can get on 4K. Oh, yeah. But it's just like, here you go. We put this together. There might be a couple of special features. But the things that get like the box set are either Criterion, yeah. which is one end, or mostly they're boutique labels doing really weird horror, science fiction, B-movie, cult movie stuff, right? So hang on. I want to talk about the uh, the werewolves thing because sure. that sounded like there was a passion there. Um, yeah, yeah, I can what, relate. What Similar vein. The- I, uh, I also had uh, influence from from the thriller video as a child. Hey, Sorry, Steve. I love that. Uh, so where where's that passion come from with the werewolves? If I can think back and get into my head, from that age it, it was the desire i think it truly is the desire to to let loose you know like the most important part of the werewolf movies for me and i think for people who like them is not the wolf going on a rampage and not the psychological torment of whoever turns into the werewolf it's that one. It's the it's the scene of the person turning into. It's the transformation. It's the metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. It's that that even if it's you know the old school kind of like uh, fade <laughs> from one stage of werewolfism <laughs> to the next, it still works. You know, it worked for me as a kid. I still kind of love it. Um, or if it's something as kind of magnificent as America War from London or Wild as the Howling, mm-hmm. you look for that transformation scene, and uh, yeah, that's why I think like. I haven't loved them as much in the modern era because I just don't, you know, CGI. Just I just don't care. It's too easy, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't. Uh, well, I don't. I don't want to say that that's denigrating that part. But, uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna say there's some CGI artists going, "Fuck you, man." <laughs> let me let me let me clarify. It's not easy to do for the artist. Yeah, uh, hmm. the the transformation on the character looks too easy. Right. The, yeah. It doesn't seem as like bubbly and painful and crackly. Yeah. The like there's, there's not the, as much the sacrifice have to work for it. It's, exactly. It's smooth. Yeah. So give um, me a good old skinwalker rips the, the flesh off and there's a werewolf underneath transformation. Okay. That, that is the that's, best. That's wonderful. And uh, I agree. Like, you know, speaking of movies that I saw younger, that Company of Wolves, the Neil Jordan film. Mm-hmm. Awesome, awesome. Uh, not necessarily a where it's more of a fairy tale, but obviously it's like a take on Red Riding Hood if you haven't seen it. But uh, yeah, to your point though, why why was it so powerful for my young? I think it's because you know horror in general it it, it, it appeals to the primal, right? It appeals to our you know if I was going to use a, a, a antiquated psychological term it appeals to our id um yeah, you're not wrong though i mean jekyll and hyde is the same way uh the incredible hulk <laughs> you know yeah why are and it's so powerful it's or something and, that's well, a 
Now you go, Steve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's also common for uh, that to be interesting to a child because typically children, you know, the power dynamic between children and adults, that's something that children crave is mm-hmm. the ability to let loose, like you say, and to have the power to do what they want, uh, the the self-actualization that often is missing in, in a lot of youths. Mm-hmm. It's true. And if you think about young kids, their only source of power is like a temper tantrum, right? <laughs> so it's, it is very interesting. What always gives me pause is why isn't it universal? You know, like, because <laughs> not every yeah. child is needs that. I mean, every person you know? is different yeah, and every I, family is different too. It, it's so funny how, how hard it is to see outside ourselves, you know, but yeah, often we want the thing that we do not have. So mm. if there's a family where somebody is allowed to have their free expression, they might not crave it as much as you do. Well, see, yeah. that gets on my point of the forbidden fruit of like, what am I doing to my kid? <laughs> like, right. like, should should she should I forbid well, so she can so, have the joy of going against my will and going? No, because she'll just find something else that you won't like. And yeah, then- <laughs> I know. <laughs> There's they'll they'll find it. It's yeah. just you know, it'll 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 be it'll be Christianity or something. Right. right. <laughs> Uh, so did you dress up for Halloween as a wolf man? Um, I assume. So I have, for the last several years, uh, my programming partner here in San Diego, she's done a haunted house, like kind of a haunted presentation at her house for Halloween for the last you know, over three decades. Let's. Oh yeah. Oh, well, I, so I've I was going to say, that. let's talk about childhood, but when you said three decades, Yes. <laughs> well, I, I haven't been doing that for three decades. I've only lived in San Diego since 2009. So, but, okay. so I've been doing that for what, like six years, seven years, something like that. Not since 2009, but the last several years I've been an actor in, in this thing. And, and it's less of what a lot of people think of a haunted house of walking through a scary hall and people jumping out and saying, boo, it's more like a little mini theatrical presentation. Right. Uh, but yeah, that, so hang on. We'll talk about that when we get to the adult section. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so for right now, just talking about childhood, did you have uh, like, for example, a favorite costume when you're a kid? <sighs> Oddly enough, I think I was a werewolf once, but the one that comes, I was a mad scientist. I remember I wanted to be a scientist. So I was like a, like a classic, you know, Colin Clive, mad scientist. Um, so that one I came back to a few times. Okay. Uh, which is funny because it's the other spectrum of the base animal is the mad genius. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Do you think it was tied to the Jekyll and Hyde thing or was there something else? I think it's more tied to the Frankenstein thing than Jekyll hmm. and Hyde. It was less of a, I want to become my darker half and more of a, I want to create, uh, you know, I guess like the, I want to play God, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> create my own, and then, of course, have it completely blow up in my own face. But uh, <laughs> I would yeah. argue maybe that's uh, the the dichotomy of you know the Jekyll and Hyde. You know, mm-hmm. mad scientist is the one who's in control, plays God. Werewolf is the one who loses control on purpose and is free. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, mm-hmm. it, it, well, when you say is free, I think when it comes to the werewolf thing, that's key, right? There is something 
kind of trapping about conscious, like not, not consciousness, but our conscience. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's something kind of trapping about having to, having to get along in a society with other human beings Mm -hmm. (laughs) that it's, it's important, but it, 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 you know, it hurts sometimes it hurts to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, there is something freeing about just being a, a thoughtless monster that just needs to, you know, the basis of, of existence to feed and whatever mm-hmm. else. Uh, any least favorite costumes? Least favorite costume? You know, I got to be honest. I don't, this is, this is going to sound, I don't really remember my Halloweens that well. Okay. Um, I'd have to really think about it. Not every, not every question is going to hit. Uh, we yeah. just ask because you never know what's, what's going to hit and what's not. Well, it does. It is. So the question is hitting, not because you're getting a specific answer, but because this is something I haven't really thought about before. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think anybody really asked me that. And I am being confronted with, huh, I really, it really doesn't stick out in my mind. And honestly, it's making me, it's making me interested in my own self. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Did you have any really scary dreams when you were a kid? Oh, yeah, yeah, a, a bunch. And I, I'm actually depressed that I don't still get them (laughs) (laughs) i miss those scary dreams i I do i do and i will say this because i still get scary dreams but my scary dreams now are the film festival is going on and we're not planned well enough you know i uh adult fears like oh my god i forgot to file my taxes yes (laughs) precisely uh that's exact and and that's like almost every day or i filed my taxes and i'm not wearing any pants you know i mean (laughs) that one all the time i have yet to have the no pants dream (laughs) but i do have the teeth falling out dream pretty often that's that's pretty classic um so that's the kind of dream i have now i don't have anything like with monsters or ghosts or fun stuff anymore Mm -hmm. Uh, and i can't remember the last time i did frankly uh, but I did have them as a kid and uh, I would use them to draw pictures and it became kind of a, hmm. yeah, I, yeah, they were scary for a bit, but um, they did help Do you me remember what any of them were. Yeah, I used to have dreams of kind of a Phantom of the Opera type figure. Uh, and the reason I always thought of this figure, uh, and, and I'm not going to use a pronoun because it's impossible to tell uh, the the sex uh, or or gender of this figure, but uh, it's it very twenty twenty two of you, sir. It's true. Well, I mean, even as even at <laughs> even in nineteen eighty eight or whatever, I I had no idea because yeah. there was a large like black hat and a large black coat and mm, just an ominous chased. amorphous figure. Yeah, yeah. and the the figure was always on the rooftops as I was trying to get away. Uh, and I always, even as a kid, I always thought of it as kind of a Phantom of the Opera kind of thing. Uh, Phantom of the Opera, by the way, is another big one from when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that film ends with a magnificent rooftop, rooftop scene with Lon Chaney. And so that's that's why I always came back to that, which is funny because usually people think of Phantom in the catacombs because in most of the film, he's in the catacombs under the opera house. But, uh, yeah, that ends where, where he gets chased onto the roof is, is great. Do you think the dream was connected to you remembering the film? I think that is a distinct possibility. Yes. What was it that you, was there something you loved about Phantom of the Opera or was there something you were afraid of related to that one? Possibly. Um, I think there's a really interesting dichotomy here because it was 
an attraction to the presence of the phantom in addition to any fear of the phantom's presence. They both were coexisting these, these, these uh, polar opposite emotions. And um, you know, my favorite scene in Phantom, it, it, this is no surprise. It's a, most people's favorite scene. There's a scene in the, in the Lon Chaney silent film that's in color. And the Phantom comes out dressed as death uh, in, a, in a very bright fire engine, crimson, operatic costume with a skull face. And it's so theatrical and perfect. And uh, the ability to command an audience like that was something that has always just appealed to me. And, uh, and so, you know, it's interesting. It, like if you ask people why they love s- serial killer stories or people are, are interested in things like Ted Bundy, th- this gets out of my wheelhouse a bit, but a lot of times the answer is kind of similar. Like, like the, the fear of that and the, the repulsion of that coexists with, the uh, the level of kind of individual power that that person has, and and, and mm. I think power does the craving of a human being for some level of control is a uh, is a big part of that. Like you don't you don't want to be the the the, vic- the victim who loses control, but to be that person who has ultimate control over another human being, there there's something I think intoxicating about the idea of that. Okay. Uh, let's see if there's any other childhood questions that I want to ask. Um, did you have anything actually scary happen in your childhood and like in real life? Um, so my dad was before he met my mom, this is pre Miguel, but (laughs) was a Roman Catholic priest, Mm -hmm. uh, ended up working for the diocese, uh, later, uh, in that career. At this point, he was working for the diocese in South Texas and uh, he loves to travel. He still loves to travel. Gave me my own love for travel, so I'm grateful for that. Uh, but, you know, we weren't exactly <laughs> – when you have a family of three sons, you don't have uh, an unending supply of funds and financial resources when you work for the diocese, right? But yeah. what you do have are connections. So we would do these road trips all the time. Like I remember going to, we went to the 1984 world's fair in Vancouver, you know, drove there. And that is a very clear memory, but we would, it's where we would stay. You know, we would stay in these uh, places run by the diocese. And some of them were really creepy. You know, (laughs) a lot of my memories being generally kind of mortified were of are, are, are connected to religion. They're connected to religion. Um, luckily, you know, there are people who have far worse experiences than I do, uh, with, (laughs) with people, with people in authority in the church. So I I don't want to give any kind of impression that I experienced anything like that, thankfully, but I did have lots of experiences with, with authority in the church that uh, that kind of has shaped my current <laughs> distaste for it. Okay. So it happens. Uh, yeah, no, I, I understand that it happens. Yeah. And it's less of a one incident and more of a, a I lived through it kind of. This is a, you know, these kinds of things were in perpetuity of, of 
little to mid instances of kind of just abject like cruelty or yeah it's uh it's interesting so like a lot of as far as traumatic events a lot of them are connected to that there was also one traumatic event well you know i grew up in maryland uh, in in maryland and um there were a couple of times uh, you know getting jumped or getting beaten that uh that jump out to me like so at this point i'm closer to like 10 we moved to maryland when i was 10 years old mm-hmm. so you know one time i like there's one time i remember being like just beaten with legs of a chair because uh it was on a basketball court and jesus um, yeah and i and i couldn't i couldn't play very well and so I had the, and I hid that from my parents. I never told them about this, but I had these welts. There was a straight line across my sternum of welts because the legs of the chair were kind of bumpy. Yeah. And so where they struck, it didn't streak, strike evenly. So it was like these risen welts that uh, were in a row from where the actual, the actual wood connected. And, and I, I have a, a very clear memory of like lifting my shirt later on and seeing that and being kind of freaked out. Um, so yeah, you know, like, uh, kids in Maryland don't fuck around, huh? No, they don't. Yeah. I don't, and you I said mean, it was, you didn't play very well. Was it your teammates beat you up because you didn't play it, very well? It, it wasn't teammates. Cause it wasn't like, it, it, you know, you just go to the court and there's just kids playing. It's a pickup yeah. game. Yeah. It's okay. Game. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fucked up. Some new kid who's just not that good at basketball yet. Maybe if he had some practice. No, no, let's beat the shit out of him. Yeah. What the yeah. hell? So, Bully's going to bully. I guess. That, Bully's going to bully. It's yeah. counterintuitive. You know, you beat up nerds for being nerds. You don't beat up people that are trying to get good at basketball. <laughs> you know, I never got bullied too much for nerdiness. Uh, I did. It made it hard to relate to people. Uh, I didn't really get friends until high school. Uh, mm-hmm. And a lot of that was around... Um, similar kind of nerdy things or music or movies and stuff like that. Mm. And one of the nice things about horror is it it kind of like, I think if you're a a very open horror fan, it might make you someone other people don't want to be friends with, but it doesn't necessarily make you the target of bullies. (laughs) True. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's always uh, (laughs) kind of a safety blanket to just be that weirdo goth kid in high school who the bullies wouldn't mess with just because yeah, he's weird. I don't want to mess with him. Bingo. That's that's it exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so speaking of you know phobias or existing traumas, you mentioned that there was maybe a distaste for authority uh, or distaste yeah. for cruelty. Um, a- anything else that really stuck with you? Well, the thing that has shaped me and you know, even to my political leanings and the way I view the world, my worldview is definitely. I think. When people in power unfairly wield that power against others. And, uh, you know, it's so funny because I think the mainstream view of horror, when people are afraid of it or think it's pernicious or think it's harmful, what I find very interesting about that is my experience with it is it has the opposite effect. For me, horror is an empathy building tool. And, that's how we use it for our film festival. It's how we use it. Uh, it's how we wield it as, as an empathy building tool. Like when we have, what's interesting about horror is because it's so, we talked before about how it's so particular to an individual. 
what that does is it allows a compare and contrast. We're dealing here, like if you if you listen to horror fans, their arguments are really kind of annoying to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's true because ninety nine percent of the arguments you'll hear from horror fans online or whatever, like let's take The Witch, right? A great film, but mm. it's like, but it's not really horror. I didn't think it was scary. Blah blah blah. But yes, she it is ground scary. up a was- baby into raspberry <laughs> jam. That's that's kind of horrific. Freaking scary. I think it's it's a magnificent film. The, uh, but it starts the. The general arguments that you'll hear online, and I hate to go online because it's every conversation is nonsense online, but it's toxic. It, yeah, it can be toxic, but really what bothers me is it's so surface. Like, yeah. it's not horror. Everybody has their own tastes. Everybody yeah. has their own tastes, and there are a lot of people who are judgmental. Yeah. It's true. And, uh, and it's not just in the horror genre, it's all over the world. I mean, but yeah. Yeah, What's scary to you might not be scary to me. Right. What's scary yeah. to Chris might not be scary to Steve. And, right. and I think um, and it's stupid of, to be judgmental about that. But and I, it's I, stupid I, I to, to, yeah. to actually like try to categorize something as one way or another because it wasn't. What I try to do is foster the conversation of. I mean, I can kind of understand the categorization because that helps you then say, okay, well, if I like this, then. I want to see more of it, but yeah. and it helps others and, and find avoid it. the things that you don't. Yeah. And avoid the things that you don't like. See, but, but I want people to find the things that don't necessarily work for them and hmm. figure out why, or what's more interesting. Not everybody wants to do that. I know. I know. I know that. See, that's, <laughs> that, that's that gray area thing. But, but as a curator of a film festival, that's my job. Right. Right. Mm. So especially uh, every film festival, whether it's Latino film festival or I partner with uh, film out San Diego or I partner with Asian film festival, you know, I'm not trying to find everything that's going to be for everyone. And, um, and the, my most exciting parts as a curator are when, not only is something that didn't work for something for some, this is why in the theater really works really well, because mm-hmm. if you watch the witch Steve at your house and Chris, you watch it at your house and then I watch it at my house and we come together later to talk about it. It doesn't quite work as well, but Steve, it didn't work for you, but Chris, it worked for you and you're sitting watching it together. And Steve is like kind of getting a little bit impatient, but Chris is like really freaking out and you have visceral mm-hmm in the moment reactions and you were experiencing that simultaneously and you feel each other's reactions to it simultaneously. Then the conversation we have when the credits roll is very interesting. Like if I can compare and contrast what my fears are with what your fears are, even though you're a woman who's 60 years old and comes from Zimbabwe, then, then we are connecting on a, a purely inherent core nature right mm-hmm. that that i love that is what excites me not just about horror but about curating and fostering discussions well the fostering discussions thing uh i mean it's interesting it's kind of tangential to horror um i think i might see a connection but i want to kind of put that to the side for a moment sure. maybe we'll come back to that let's move into the teenage year stuff yeah. so if you were to pick the top three things that come to your mind of, you know, horror books, movies, TV, whatever, you know, what, what would the top three things from your adolescent years be? You know, like when I got into high school and stuff, it's very classic for horror fans is like you, you start, you start to look for the more extreme stuff. 
And so I really, you know, I think top things from when I was a teenage years would be like Peter Jackson's Brain Dead, Dead Alive. And it's <laughs> kind of freaking people out by introducing them to really extreme stuff like Cannibal Holocaust or whatever. But um, Okay, hang, hang on. So sure. let's start with the first one you mentioned, Dead Alive. Yeah. Okay. What did you love about that one? It's a it's a cartoon. Yeah, you know, kind Dead of Alive is. is a cartoon. Like the, the gags in it are mm-hmm. are purely Tom and Jerry. Um, yeah, the, even the, the characters the, and the design of the characters, oh, like man. how bright and colorful the woman's makeup is and their clothing is just very. You're right. It's, it is a very cartoonish film. It reminds me of like I don't know some some short films I've seen where people try and make like. What if a cartoon came to life in real life? It's, it's kind of yes, like on yeah. that same vein. Yeah, and some of those are horrendous, right? Like, yeah. Like the, the, the real life looking Beavis and Butthead. Oh, yeah. Just <laughs> yeah. So you um, like this one because it was funny? I liked it because it was, first of all, like nothing I had really seen before. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, there is what, what there's the classic line i kick ass for the lord so <laughs> there's a scene in the middle of it in a cemetery at night where zombies are rising and the vicar of the cemetery starts he flies out onto the scene and starts just like wailing on these zombies with kung fu moves and then he turns and says i kick ass for the lord like that <laughs> When I first saw that, oh God, I must have been maybe 14. That blew my mind. I was like, what? Why? I'll never forget that. Why did it? I have no idea. I think because I think because it was so funny. Like it landed, like the joke lands. The timing of the joke lands. Having it's it, all right, let's be honest, it's very irreverent. <laughs> and that, I dug that as a kid. But also in a way, like one thing that was not totally in my uh, on my radar at the time is, is you're rooting for the priest in that scene. And I, I didn't find myself rooting for priests very much at that point in my life. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was interesting. The other thing in dead alive is it has a zombie baby uh, because two zombies have sex and she gets pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, <if> right? I, <laughs> I don't think many people have done that. That's um, maybe like one of three. Ever. Yeah. And and, a, and anytime you see zombie babies, pretty much after a lot of times it's after that movie, mm-hmm. but the way this movie does it, it's not just that there's a zombie baby. It's like, if you, if you remember, I think one of the weakest ways was in um, the Zack Schneider, Dawn of the Dead remake. Yeah. There's a zombie baby for like a flash of a second. It's like, it it's eyes scary. are different. Oh, yeah, shoot it. Uh, Done. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was, it was lame, but, yeah. but the <laughs> Not that I think Zack Schneider should have gone the Peter Jackson route because the way Peter Jackson, the way you know it's a cartoon and the very, like, the sheer evidence that this is just a cartoon is Peter Jackson, who is one of the writers of this film as well as the director, mm-hmm. has a zombie baby appear. And the first thing he has this character do is decide he, it must be a good idea to take the zombie move baby on a walk in the park. Uh huh. <laughs> and the hijinks, <laughs> the, the hijinks that ensue are just outstanding. They're so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, what is this scene doing in this movie? <laughs> right. Like, yeah, you're right. It's very cartoonish in that little in that regard. That it just kind of immediately splits to a scene of, all right, and now we're going to the park with the baby in a stroller for, for why? For why? Yeah. <laughs> and um, you still have an army of zombies back at your. What are you doing? <laughs> and the idea, I mean, the 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 sheer level of bloodshed in this movie 
too. Ridiculous. Up to that point. Yeah. I, I, I had never seen. Okay. So, so what I'm getting at still comes back to the word audaciousness. Yeah, it's it's absolutely audacious, um, but it's not audacious in like Cannibal Holocaust, where like let's see how far we can push the envelope. It's more like let's see well, how much fun Peter Jackson can have swimming in blood. <laughs> right now, speaking of Cannibal Holocaust, that's where I was going to go next. So, what did you love about that one? Love is a weird word. Um, I don't. I never loved it. And, what did you and, enjoy uh, about it? I guess I think the Europeans. What they do in order to um, get good footage, in order to make a good documentary, is they set fire to a village that they come upon and then film the, the ensuing chaos as if they were catching like action, right? So, so they, were, they were falsifying what they had done and they were committing atrocities in order to get a good documentary. And so they meet their comeuppance and that, that sense of justice that comes up like was really intoxicating to me as a, Mm -hmm. as a teenager. And also let's be honest, like I have, I had a curatorial drive since I was a kid. What I mean by that is if I saw Terminator when I was eight, I wanted all my friends to see it. You know, I wanted to be the one to introduce them to this. And so, like, at this point, you know, if someone said, oh, I just saw a scream. That was scary. I'd be like, that's not <laughs> you know what I mean? So so there was <laughs> there was some of that, too. And yeah. uh, and to see people's kind of like mortification, like the mortified looks on their faces uh, as they watched uh, Cannibal Holocaust. That was that was, you know, for for a 14 year old me. Yeah, that was a. Uh, that's really nice. You know, I, I loved that. <laughs> so I in a way, like one of the, the appeals of it was the fact that it was like a, a, a badge of honor or almost a, a newly discovered weapon you could yield against people who say they know about horror. Like, ah, nah, nah, nah. you know, you time, don't know. Yes. Yeah. yeah at the time. I, that's definitely something I, I have outgrown. Like the only, well, yeah. so I'll give you, I'll give you a, a, an adult Miguel comparison. Cause I still like mortifying people, mm-hmm. but the thing that I tend to do that now is with the star Wars holiday special. <laughs> 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 like, like, every Christmas, we invite new people for the Star Wars holiday special, and I don't even watch the TV. I turn around and watch people watching it, and it's 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 my joy, you know. It's the new two I, girls, one cup. Yeah, <laughs> 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 uh, it's a safe for work. Two girls, one cup. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. Yeah, you know, like the animal stuff. I, I mean, even I, I've kind of yeah. out, I've outgrown that. It's not really at the time. I was like, yeah, I'm just going to tough this out, man. It's a test. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no need to do that anymore i am not and i i have no full understanding of why i felt the need at the time again badge of honor it's it's like a thing that you tough it through and say i've i've been through it and yeah at the time i think it was interesting because of the overall shock of it but uh yeah that is one of the few things i look back on that movie that um not a fan of anymore it's like all right this is actual animal abuse yeah no it's it's radically fucked up ruggero diodato has multiple multiple times uh oh, yeah. expressed regret for doing it the director different times there you are know things there are things if you are so i did talk about being obsessed with the michael jackson making of thriller video so mm-hmm. you know ever since then i was always kind of very interested in how tricks or gags were pulled off and cannibal holocaust still to this day to my mind has one of the the kind of gore gags 
is so brilliant in its simplicity. Um, so in the scene, it's a really horrendous looking image, but there is a woman who is vaginally impaled, impaled on this pike lengthwise, and it's coming out of her mouth, and it looks very real. And it looks mm-hmm. so real that Deodato and his crew were taken to court because <laughs> people assumed it was a snuff film. And in court, they had to demonstrate how they pulled it off. And right. well, again, I think that's speaking more simple. to the. Sorry, I was, I was going to say, I think that's speaking more to the auteur part of it. It sounded like the, the real emotional part of Cannibal Holocaust to you was the justice come up. As, come yes. Up, yeah. yeah. Up the vengeance. That, yeah. That's what I really, when I, when I had a, um, an emotional connection to the film, that was it. Uh, what about bad taste? Bad taste is just everything about it is, uh, the same reasons that I love dead alive. You know, it's cartoony, it's over the top, it's comedy and the comedy lands like, you know, one, <laughs> there's a character played by the director, Peter Jackson himself named Derek. And at one point he, uh, he falls from a great height Mm-hmm. And it splits his skull open mm-hmm. and piece of his brain <laughs> falls out of his head. And uh, anytime the piece of brain falls out, he has a little seizure and can't think until he scoops up that little piece of brain, shoves it back into his skull and then uses his belt to kind of like clamp his mm-hmm. skull shut. <laughs> and this happens various times throughout the film. Absolute realism, not cartoony at all. Nope. It's, it's completely insane. Like who? Oh, and then there's another, like one of my favorite jokes in it. And this is what I mean. Like comedy and horror, they, they act on the same terms in that timing is everything. Like for it to work, it has to work like perfectly. And there's one scene where one of the characters, there's a, an alien in the room And he takes the alien's head and pulls the head out of its body with the spinal column thrashing around. And then the guy pulls the spinal column off of the head and punts it like a football out of the window of this house. And he immediately follows it up with this line, the old magic's still there. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, who writes this? Um, Yeah, I just, I think it's so brilliant. It's like those little touches are are so good. Um, And so, yeah, I think at the time, uh, why did I love it? It was, it was, it was comedy that was so like, audacious I, audacious is the word like i who can i show this to that they will think it's funny and mm-hmm. if they think it's funny then they can be my friend okay. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> you, or would be mortified the yeah. horror respect benchmark right? if you will yes <laughs> hey before i ask the next question i wanted to uh ask you something so uh there's like this low rumble i keep hearing and i think it's because I, I, maybe your mic is on a desk or you've got like a oh, keyboard yeah. that you're. It might be. Let me move my mic away from the tower a little more. Yeah, when you moved it, I heard some rumbling. So that's the, what I think it was. Okay. Do you hear it now? Uh, yeah, you moved something. Oh, well, now I've got a cat walking on the desk. Come here. <laughs> <laughs> Are you doing something important? Oh, Can I mess it speaking, up? Yeah, right. Uh, speaking of animals, I was hearing a squeaky toy in the background. Is it possible okay, to close that, the door? That would be my daughter. And no, I'm in an open floor. Oh, plan. 
Yeah. <laughs> I thought you had a dog that was I have a sweet toy. Uh, yeah. Hey, squeak toys are for dogs and, and kids, <laughs> that's, you know. That's true. The yeah. three-year-old has a, a has a similar mental capacity as a smart. Yes, kid. yes, that's true. <laughs> Having a three-year-old niece, I knew it was a kid. I, I figured yeah. that was it, and also I know that's impossible to uh, stop. So right. I just figured we'll just deal with it. It's right. three-year-olds are very uh, opinionated in their activities, oh, and you will gosh. not stop them ever. Well, yeah. my wife, <laughs> let she, she let is now watching her iPad in, in the, the far side of the living room. So. Ah, the tablet generation. For the next five minutes, anyway. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. All right, cool. Uh, so did you Come have on. any scary dreams in your teenage years? I think in my teenage years, most of my nightmares were around um, friendships mm. uh, and relationships. <laughs> see, that wasn't me. That, that, uh, that was me. <laughs> and, uh, and, and religious stuff. Cause at that point, um, I'll be honest with you. I connect every experience in my life to why I love horror. Like, you know, I said at the beginning, I don't think, I don't think of horror films for me as, as an escape. I think of them as a confrontation. Hmm. I, I'm looking to be uncomfortable when I watch things for the most mm-hmm. part. And that's, that's kind of weird. I think that's weird for a lot of people. <laughs> Especially now, you'll you'll hear conversations of well, you gave a trigger warning at the beginning of this uh, this episode, which I appreciate. I think trigger warnings, you know, in the horror realm, there are a lot of people who uh, who think they're like not necessary and and pandering. And I disagree. I think for people who don't need the trigger warning, they might seem that way. But for for people who do, they're necessary. So, right. but you know, I'm kind of looking to be triggered. I'll be, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's really I, I, I had, there was a, a book I just read uh, a novel and the whole reason I read it is because a review on Goodreads started with a trigger warning I was like oh I've got to read that <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah it's like uh, you know music albums ex- explicit content yeah. hey that was oh, good totally. selling point yeah yeah mm-hmm. no absolutely let's let's jump let's jump into adult years so yeah. if we were to pick top three things for adult years top like so right now Man, that's hard. So let me clarify this question. Top three things that uh, came out recently or top three things just in general? Yeah, we understand that that top, you know, favorite things can change over time. Uh, it's just like, you know, if, if you were depressed to pick right now, what would you say right now? Okay, so I will say uh, the French new extreme film Inside is one that oh. sticks with me really, really. I love it to death. You will never um, look at a pair of scissors the same way again. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the movies that my wife and I first saw together. And it's oh, nice. And yeah, a little romantic evening alone. <laughs> you know, it's just, hey, hey, you know what? Let's have another kid. <laughs> I met my well, I won't say that, but <laughs> I, I met my wife because I used to do a, a film series, just a, a more fun one at at a bar called Shot by Shot, mm-hmm. and the very first one we did was uh, Battle Royale, and that's how I met her. Oh, so nice. uh, it, it's pretty cool. Back in 2012, but um, mm. well, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so inside. Um, Man, this is this is a very difficult question. Um, I I find that usually the first thing that comes to mind is is cur- is accurate. Yeah. yeah. So without overthinking it, what were the what comes to mind? Stra- uh, like, encounters of the spooky kind. <laughs> so I'm going to bring up encounters of the spooky kind uh, because I have 
In fact, and I'll go with that, and I will go with El Santo contra el Montros, uh, El Santo, El Santo, the luchador from Mexico. So I've been a big uh, explorer in recent years, especially since um, maybe I was in my mid twenties till now, of looking for genre or B movie world cinema from countries that did not intend an international audience. This is a very specific, this has a lot of specificity to it. Um, So like, if you look at inside, that's a French film and, uh, but it did have an international audience in mind. So um, it can be watched pretty much anywhere in the world and people pretty much get what's going on. Right. Mm. However, there are countries that have very insular film Uh, industries and some of these industries are really large like turkey for years that was one of the third biggest film industries in the world none of these were exported these were intended for a turkish audience that's it so it Uh, sounds like we're going into the auteur part of again let me rein you back into (laughs) what what did you love about uh inside on the horror like uh, the, the emotional response inside just um was was a very visceral film yeah. It it what what's visceral about inside is uh it, it it's the the horror is based around some aspects that are usually untouched or too taboo. So the, mm-hmm. the it's a home invasion film and the victim is a pregnant woman and essentially the invader w- wants to use a pair of shears to cut her baby out of her stomach and um and so it's that it, you feel there are scenes in this film where you feel it in your molars you know mm. <laughs> like you can't even explain it on an intellectual level it's, no that's it's a really bad. good way of describing that level of cringe the good cringe yeah. like we were talking about earlier is like yeah you, you kind of feel that nerve pain in your teeth yes it's that bad yeah. oh it's it's like oof it's it's a rough one this is like trigger a warning mm. um and i and but 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 try to beware for the auteur thing here it's beautiful (laughs) like it's very well done yeah i mean the special effects in some of the recent french horror films are just like insane that uh what's the the other one um high tension high tension yeah oh yeah hot tension yeah uh (laughs) martyrs is another one that gets cited a lot yeah um anything by gaspar noe you know of course Mm. but um but but for but for inside, it was the discomfort, you know, the confrontation, I guess, is, is where you're going with that one. That's what you got out of that one. It's not just the confrontation. There has to it's credits roll. And the world looks less bleak because at least it's not that. Right. Yeah. You know, for me, it, there's a lot of therapeutic aspects to going putting myself through the meat grinder what about encounters of the spooky kind um hong kong even that one is kind of low on the experience but what it does uh, when you see these films from other countries that were intended only for their own cultures and i know you said this was auteur but this is actually really central to the point is um it is reflecting the zeitgeist and the feelings and the emotions of just that culture of just that person. And sometimes these seem really foreign to us. 
Uh, a lot of these are not available with subtitles. They're becoming a little bit more so, but films from Turkey, films from Indonesia, films from the Philippines. So it was, it was the fact that it was exposing you to a culture that you were previously familiar with? Yes, and it is the con- compare contrast because there are things that are familiar and there are things that are radically unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. You know? Sort of um, an educational uh yeah, I, I don't even know if it's educational. I think it's more it's more embedded in my core than that. Although I, I won't deny any educational things, uh, it's it's like I said before. It's 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 the emotional connection I'm having to them. It's also a new experience. Like I, I'm really interested in experiencing new things. Uh, I recently saw a uh, film from Singapore. Actually, hang on, hang on. I'm gonna. Okay. Pause you there. So sure. I'm keeping an eye on the clock. We forgot to tell you, we've got another call at four o'clock, which is 45 minutes away. And we've still got a bunch more questions to go. Oh, through. shit. Okay. Yeah. Lightning round. Well, Laura, <laughs> Laura's going to warn you. I'm a very wordy guy. Yeah. <laughs> she, may um, have, she may have brought it up. <laughs> I, I don't remember if she did or not. Um, so Uh-oh. Luchador from Mexico. What did you like about that one? Well, I'm Mexican. I grew up with them. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's one thing. Fair. But uh the thing about it is it's the same thing I'm talking about. That is something specific to Mexico. Uh, they were brought to the U.S. to some degree by a guy named K. Gordon Murray in the 60s as kind of curiosities and, and look how goofy this is. In Mexico, these films were events. You know, El Santo himself had like 56 films. That, that's it, it's a lot. And, it's a lot. And mm-hmm. these were family experiences, which meant they were every genre. There were there were James Bond movies. There were horror films. There were monster films. There were spy movies. A there true were franchise. Superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were everything. It's everything in the kitchen sink approach to it. So you mentioned that you know it was this. There was you know like fifty movies. I'm guessing some of them were horror based, and that's how you got into it. Maybe or Almost did you? Get all into- of them have horror elements. And yes. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Almost all of them have horror elements. Yeah. So many of them have monsters, uh, vampire women, los mujeres vampiras. Uh, it's it's great. <laughs> so you know, you mentioned seeking out these regional films not, that were not intended to be international, and mm-hmm. I'm guessing this is tying in with your desire or appreciation of being a curator and sharing them with other people. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I have a series called Delirio, and that's exactly the mission statement. <laughs> okay. Let me, I'm going to skip some of the other adult questions and go into <laughs> what our, our wrap up questions would be. There's still a couple of questions here to, to go through, but these questions, it's not just covering a particular time in your life. It's covering your whole life. And they're not, these questions don't just relate to horror. Um, it could be any genre, but the first two I'll give you, I'll give you the same, the, the two questions at the same time, because the answers could be the same movie or it could be two different movies, depending okay. on how this goes. But the first two questions would be, what do you consider your favorite movie? And what would you say would be the movie you've watched more times than any other? Again, not just horror based, but overall. Well, you're very lucky because there's a book series called my favorite horror movie. And I was invited to write an essay for it. So Hi. I already have this in mind. It's the 1954 Gojira, the first Godzilla film. Okay. And in my essay, I go very, very in depth in, into why that is uh, also why I consider it a horror film, but uh, it's also the one, not only have I probably watched the most number of times, but I own the most uh, copies of in various formats. <laughs> I think I have like 16 different versions of it, uh, ranging from VHS to Laserdisc to Blu-ray to DVD. Uh, so, so understanding that you've already written an essay on this, can yes. you give us the highlights? <laughs> the highlights are um, 
all right, the the thing I compare my feeling of this to is is The Little Prince, right? So mm-hmm. The Little Prince is a book read by children that can be read at every stage of someone's life and has new kind of meaning for them. Yeah. Um, Godzilla is the same way. The first Gojira is the same way. As a kid, uh-huh. I was introduced to it because my dad took me to see um, The Return of Godzilla in 1985 in the theater that had been uh, released in the theater. That was my first experience watching Godzilla in 85. Uh, unforgettable experience. Then uh, finally getting able to see via bootleg at this time, the original Japanese version, as opposed to the American King of Monsters version, which are different by about 45 minutes. Um, And, you know, a lot of the very uh, obvious allusions to Godzilla's metaphor for the atomic bomb has been removed like the film opens up with a fishing boat getting subjected to radiation from Godzilla. Um, that was a direct allusion to an actual fishing boat that in the uh, South Pacific uh, ended I'm gonna, up getting I'm contaminated. Jump in and pause you again uh-huh. and, and say emotional connection. What was your emotional connection with the movie? That's my emotional connection. Like, I don't know how you get more emotional than that. Like for me, it's what um, you didn't describe an emotion. You're talking about a boat getting hit by radiation. Oh, okay. Uh, I think the emotion is how it's, it's very complicated to explain the emotion because mostly um, we devastated two cities in Japan, laid waste to them in a way that psychologically affected that culture to this day. So let's try to identify Let's try to identify the emotions right now. It sounds like you're talking about shame. Yeah. And the shame is definitely it. it, it it's, it, it's hard. Uh, clearly my emotion, like my emotional, my ways to describe my own emotions are very complicated and hard for me to describe. And I think that's why I love this film so much because it gives me a, a focal point for the ways these uh, offend, events make me feel. That's understandable, uh, especially if the, I mean, the two that you mentioned are shame and confusion. So confusion surrounding this is understandable. I will say yeah. that I will say this in, for emotion. The emotion I feel most often every day is rage. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and, and it's something that I struggle very hard to come to grips with. Rage is something that is un, unchecked and it, it, it can have a detrimental effect on my day-to-day life. And um, can relate, never get a job in IT. Um, but actually I do work for, I do work for uh, ITS in UC San Diego. So it's really funny that you say that. Um, I have a lot of patience with my, with my students and with my, with my instructors. My rage is really more on a political level, I guess. And yeah. Level, yeah, and the last two years have made it very crippling. Uh, And the only thing I want to ask about that real quick. So, did you? Is that a recent thing, or is that all the way back to childhood? Oh, it's all the way back to childhood. It's all the way back to childhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, my my like like I said, my my father is very political, and he's he's left leaning. Which again is something I've always really had found very confusing because my experience with with the religious is, is very right leaning for the most part in, in my real life day to day. It's not always the case. Were you aware of that? Like in your childhood, like I'm trying oh, to totally. understand where your rage was. Dude, in- totally. We, we went to protests 
all the time against the Gulf War. Oh, man, his rage against Ronald Reagan in the 80s. I'll never forget it. I was drawing pictures of Ronald Reagan getting his head blown off when I was a little kid because I was channeling my dad's rage. Um, Yeah, yeah. So, yes, no, this is something that is part and parcel with how I grew up and and who I am. But um, I'm glad you brought this up because usually the last question we ask is, is there anything relevant that you're aware of we haven't talked about? And this (laughs) this definitely uh, underscores some stuff. (laughs) My my way of of calming myself down, because I even when I was a kid, I recognized that rage was a dangerous thing. And now it's a dangerous thing. I, I can't talk very well about emotions, as you can tell from this fucking conversation. <laughs> um, but, uh, and partly because my, my emotions are largely overshadowed by rage, like all the time. I wake up furious. I go to sleep furious. <laughs> I want, like it's constant. And the only way that I have had in my life to as as kind of a Xanax for these feelings is watching really violent things <laughs> it is is channeling that through an artistic expression at some point and it's funny because like the you know one thing about that a very pet peeve of mine is when people will say how can you watch all these horror movies when the you can just watch the news I'm like <laughs> no the news creates rage yeah. This other thing is what I use to diffuse rage. This other thing exorcises these demons. The news gives birth to the demons. It's not the same fucking thing. You cannot conflate these two things. What I watch is not real. Like there, you know, it's an expression. One is one is a creation of rage. The other is an expression to get it off of our chest. You know. Uh, it, I remember an interview with with the singer of Metallica saying that backstage his fans would be so so weirded out that he was so mellow. He was like, "I just did this for I just got this shit off my chest for three hours. Right. How else would I be right now?" Right. I mean, I that I felt that. You know, yeah. I, I feel that. It's like exercising for three hours. Of course, you're going to be more relaxed afterwards. Exactly. You got it all yeah. out. Yeah. Um, so I I haven't said this at all during the call, but I, I started to see a common thread. Mm-hmm. pretty early in the call yeah. but i'll hold on to that for another few minutes let, let me ask like two more two or three sure. more questions what um do you see any common threads about what kind of horror you like cannibalism occult metaphysical monster movies that's hard because no uh, and i'm a weirdo with that because that is normally a common thread i i am so i've trained myself so much to go beyond just what is on the surface and see, like, it doesn't matter if I'm watching, like, a Donald Duck cartoon with a witch or inside. I'm not focusing so much on, like, what the monster is or what the story is, but, like, what human anxiety has to exist in order for this story to be told. You know what I mean? So um, that's that's why, like, in my festival, I have had so many conversations with my audience when they're like, wow, I, I wouldn't have called that a horror film. And then I break down why I think it fits with us. And then they're like, oh, wow, yeah, I wouldn't have thought about it that way. Because I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking for an expression of anxiety or fear, you know, like. Um, I think you, 
I think you kind of got to what we wanted to get to anyway, because the next question would be, do you have any idea why it is that you like those things? And you're talking about, you know, looking past the surface for the underlying anxiety or fear. And we can still ask that question. Why do you like the underlying anxiety or fear? The reason I like the underlying anxiety or fear is because I feel like it's a channel. It's a channeling for my own anxieties and fears as a curator. You know, I'm not a filmmaker. I never really had a desire to be one. I'm not really an artist in the, in the definition that I draw or paint or write or, but when I take stories and use stories as the source for a discussion or as even better, a survey of multiple stories and use them as a source for a particular discussion. Um, that is my, that's my artistic creation. That's my expression. That's my mode. And so even when I'm watching these things, not as a curator, not in my capacity as a curator, but just for my own self, my own time, there is something about connecting over misery (laughs) that is a little more powerful even than connecting over a sunset. You know, it's like they, they both cause connections, but there's, there's one that's in the gut, you know, and, uh, and I, I, I just need that. And the last question here that we would normally ask would be, you know, why horror? Because couldn't you get these things in other genres? But really, I think the answer to that in your case is because of the strength of the emotion. Mm-hmm. It's it's the strength. And also, just to kind of go circle, it's also because horror is stigmatized. I feel like because it's the if someone is... Yeah, it's the underdog. If someone's going to make something that everyone thinks is trash anyway, then there's some freedom in that to to be a little more true and a little more vulnerable and a little you know, more base, you know, I think that's why historically a lot of horror has had just, just the basest things, whether they're filled with nudity or blood or, or try that seems to be, especially since a lot of them were made by like young dudes uh, at the time. This I'm just, this is me just being honest on screen. I like this stuff. I'm sure that the people I want to sell this to will like this stuff. And, you know, a lot of people would say, yeah, it's commercial. That's what sells. Well, yeah. Why does it sell? Because it's all because let's be honest, people really genuinely feel like they want this. <laughs> it sells for a reason. Um, and th- that kind of like um, truism, that, 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 that the sincerity of trashy content is something that I think makes it more sincere. I'm attracted to that. I think that's why it's, it, you can get that in other genres, but because horror is such a punk rock kind of underdog, as you put it, you can get it a little more unfiltered. I'm going to read off a list of things that we've talked about in this call. Okay. And I want you to think about or question how many of these things refer to either a power imbalance mm-hmm. or a desire for power or control. All right. Werewolves, Phantom of the Opera con- commanding an audience, authority and cruelty in the diocese, getting jumped in Maryland, questions of fairness, curating for an audience, reacting to the Star Wars special, being the subject of ridicule, uh, participating in protests as a kid, Exercising rage, connecting to other people, and punk rock. 
like everything that we've talked about in yeah. this call really goes back to the, the power and control right. of power. Yeah, power or the lack thereof, the, the, right. the experienced lack thereof. Right. Yeah, no, you're there's, there's, <laughs> that, you're absolutely correct. I can't deny any of that. Yeah, checks out. Yeah, that's very interesting. Is this is this something that you find coming up a lot in your conversations? Or is that specific to me? Uh, no, powering it's, control it's definitely comes up come up before. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot, I but I would say, say like it definitely comes up. Yeah. It's interesting, like we didn't get until the very end where you talked about, you know, feeling this sense of rage every day. Um, that was an interesting kind of turning point for me in the call because I had I was seeing seeing this pattern pattern, but when you said that, that was that was interesting because it's like, oh, there's there's something that we haven't talked about. What makes it really difficult now is um my whole life because of uh, art, really, I have a lot to owe to this art, which is why I am such a big part of my life. I've been able to live with that. You know, I've been able to get by. I have a great education. I've got a great family. I've got a great relationship. Uh, oh, it's definitely career. It could definitely be therapeutic. <laughs> yeah. However, since the pandemic started, I have found that it has not worked as well. And it has been harder to control the, the rage that I'm feeling. You know, it's, hard, it's harder to control it. Uh, I feel much more. Well, it's in uh, our face a lot more. Yeah, yeah, I feel much more despair. I feel much more despair. I'm usually a very humanistic person. I, I feel like I'm losing that. <laughs> and uh, and I ha- that's my anxiety right now. It, it's, uh, my anxiety right now is feeling like I'm losing um, empathy. Mm-hmm. I, I really feel like I'm losing empathy. Like when I hear like my first inclination, if I hear about an anti-vaxxer who dies from COVID it is, I'm going to be very honest. It's joy. It's elation. <laughs> and that is not cool. Like, no, I, a, I, it's not healthy. <laughs> it's super not healthy. It's, and not only for you personally, but for the community, for our nation. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's just like and, that article uh, you shared the other day, Steve, about uh, witnessing the downfall of society in, what was it, Sri Lanka, and how oh, America yeah. is pretty much already there. Right. Because we or ignore going things. Going down a similar path. Yeah. I read that same goddamn article. That's <laughs> like, <laughs> that might be one of my problems. But um, Well, and the thing that I, you know, I think that you're touching on here is part of the rage is that like you say, having that response is not healthy, but the people that are, are dying from not being vaccinated are the ones that are causing the reaction because like you're, I'm, I'm angry at you, but you're the one causing this. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and that's, you know, that's the complication, right? You, this is not, again, going back to dualism, horror is comfortable because of dualism. Um, We don't live in a dualistic world. If I'm going to, I have to recognize that when that's how I combat that, that initial elation I get is like, I'm thinking in dualistic terms. I'm thinking of like good versus evil and evil has just been vanquished and that's just childish, you know? And um, yeah, the reality, and it's funny that you say that because I'm sitting here thinking the reality is more complicated that than that. And I even wanted to amend what I said a minute ago about, you know, you're the ones causing this. I understand from their viewpoint, it is more complicated than that. You know, there are people who have questions and concerns. Yeah. It, and 
there are Brandon answers. Masturbating it. Let's be clear. Well, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, there are answers to those questions. Yeah. They don't want to hear them, or they don't like the answer, or they don't trust them. That's what makes it more complicated. But at the end of the day, you know, yeah. that's that's what we're struggling with is the complication. Oh, it's so hard, man, and it's so hard because I'm working. You talked about working remotely. I, I'm working remotely right now, which I, you know, I'm very lucky that I can do that, that we can still, yeah. I'm very lucky that I'm one of the few people I feel like in San Diego who has been able to buy a house with a single income. And, you know, we're not, <laughs> we're not, not living like, we're not living super comfortable. I mean, yeah. I'm really comfortable. I'm, I'm very grateful for all these things. And I have to like, but t- the fact that I have to tell myself that explicitly, like I'm trying to convince <laughs> myself you have to remind yourself that you're comfortable. Yeah. 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 And that, that, I have it so much better than so many others. Uh, yeah. And a lot of it, you know, was earned and a lot of it was from being lucky, but, um, these last two years of working remotely, I am not good at this. And uh, there are now two Miguels, you know, the, the Miguel that, that, that has elation at someone dying from COVID is the same Miguel that's become an introvert. I'm not, you can probably tell I'm not an introverted person <laughs> at all. Uh, I, I, I've been a teacher. I, I do presentations. I talk on panels. I do workshops. I do a film festival. I, I'm very, very much, I'm driven by engagement with other human beings. And in the last year, especially, there's a part of me that feels just robbed of being able to do that. But there's a new part of me that is a misanthrope that has become introverted. And those two parts of me now, this is a new dichotomy. This is a new beast. And um, they're at odds and they're constantly warring with each other in my head. And, uh, and I have yet to find like the therapy that I've gotten in the past from watching movies and having discussions. And I don't know, partly it's because I'm not in public. I like, I feel like a big part of it is being in public, but I don't know. Uh, This is a, I'm still trying to craving the connection, mm-hmm. craving it. Yeah, I'm craving, but I'm not part well, of me is craving it. And the other half is not. What does that mean? You're afraid of it. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. Not yeah. of the connection, but of the risks right now in the current uh, situation. Sure. Yeah. Maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Anyway, we're getting really crazy off. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's what you're trying to do to me, but uh, <laughs> it's working. Yeah. <laughs> It's working. Well, I mean, point of the call is to talk about all this stuff and then think about it. And the thinking, thinking of it part often does continue after the end of the call. I mean, when I edit these calls, there are times that I've emailed our guests and said, you know, as I was editing it, I I was listening to this and I realized I forgot to say this or (laughs) this thought popped up in my head that I didn't uh, think of at the time. And, you know, there's some back and forth sometimes with some of our guests on that. And, you know, it it's interesting to do this because of the thoughts that it generates, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's also, it's a testament to the uh, complexity of our experiences. Yes. And the individuality of them, which is again, why we have to speak to multiple different people to get all these different viewpoints. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go back and and listen to some back uh, episodes because I'm curious to see what some other people have said. 
thank you for putting something else on my plate. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> something to keep you occupied <laughs> in these trying times. Um, let me wrap up the closing and then give me one second. So um, thank you to anybody out there listening. Uh, please do come visit us at horrormixeshappy.com. Uh, we've got links there to our social media. And really the best thing you can do is just tell a friend if you like what you're hearing. Horrormixeshappy.com. 